you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. A warning, this episode includes depictions and discussions of violence and murder. Listener discretion is advised, especially for children under 13. There's also a mention of suicide in this episode. Please, if you're thinking about suicide, are worried about a friend or loved one, or would like emotional support, help is available. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 to speak with a counselor today. That's 1-800-273-8255. On May 16, 1937, at around 6 p.m., A woman in her late 20s, wearing a beautiful green suit, white hat, and gloves, left a suburban dance hall in Paris and walked quickly toward a bus stop. About 25 minutes later, she entered the metro station and took a seat in an empty first-class car, while the other passengers crammed into the second-class cars. At 6.27 p.m., the train left. When it arrived at the next station, 45 seconds later, the car doors opened on a crime scene. A French military dentist and his friends entered the car and found the woman slouched in her seat, bleeding heavily with a nine-inch dagger buried to its hilt in her neck. The woman died before reaching the hospital and wasn't able to name her attacker, leaving the Parisian police with a perplexing locked room mystery on their hands. The story made front page news the next morning and one paper even called it the perfect crime. The killer had somehow gotten in and out of a moving subway car in less than a minute without ever being seen. No one witnessed the crime, and the killer left behind little forensic evidence. This first-ever murder in the Paris metro dominated the headlines for weeks during the summer of 1937, as journalists and the police slowly uncovered the shocking truth about the victim. A young Italian immigrant, the beautiful and mysterious Leticia Tarot. Leticia worked each day in a factory, but spent her nights working as a spy in the corrupt Parisian underworld. The murder held the French public spellbound in pre-war Paris, as the police's investigation would soon uncover a tangled web of lies and political secrets that would change Europe forever. Stay with us as we explore the impossible murder of Leticia Tarot. I'm Jaden McKell, and you're listening to Straight Up Enigmas. 
One of the biggest mysteries surrounding Leticia's murder is how the killer got on and off of a moving train in less than a minute. Suicide was one early theory, but the coroner quickly ruled that possibility out. He determined there was no way Leticia's death was self-inflicted. The knife had been lodged in Leticia's neck with precision, so that it sliced both her carotid artery and jugular vein. She couldn't have stabbed herself in the neck at that angle with such accuracy and force. The coroner speculated that whoever did stab her was most likely a professional killer, a hitman. It appeared that Leticia Tarot had been assassinated, but who could have possibly wanted Leticia dead? French newspapers were portraying her as an innocent girl who just found herself in the wrong place at the wrong time. But then, why would an assassin target an innocent, ordinary citizen? Her murder seemed too calculated to be random. The police wondered whether Leticia was stabbed before the train ever left the station. If the killer knew exactly when and where she would enter the train, they could get on and off before it even pulled away. But that kind of precision meant that the assassin had very detailed knowledge of Leticia's schedule. Investigators needed to know where she had been going that night and who knew about her plans. After searching her apartment for clues, the police realized that Leticia had been working as a spy for both the French police and, it seemed, the Italian Secret Service. They now wondered whether the young Italian woman had in fact been a mole, a double agent for Benito Mussolini, a far-right fascist who wanted to keep tabs on Italy's citizens abroad. Even with this newfound information, the police hit a dead end just two months into the murder investigation. They knew the 29-year-old must have been assassinated by a highly skilled hitman, but they were no closer to finding her killer. Over the next 12 months, they interviewed more than 800 people who either knew Leticia or who had been at the dance hall, bus stop, or subway platform with her on the day of her death. But the police never found a single witness to the crime. They did learn that Leticia was born on September 11, 1907 in Italy. Her parents separated when she was young, and in the mid-1920s, Leticia and her mother joined the wave of over 3 million immigrants relocating to Paris. In Paris, 18-year-old Leticia soon became extremely popular at the Ball Musette clubs around the city. The Ball Musette, or dance halls, were centers of Parisian nightlife for many Italians, but they were often located in seedy neighborhoods and visited by gang members, prostitutes, and drug dealers. 
Leticia was known for her dancing skills and outgoing personality. She even started going by a new name, Yolanda. Soon, Yolanda was the most sought-after dancer at the Ball Musette, and she even caught the attention of the French police. Leticia became an informant with a detective agency in central Paris called the Agent's Roof, where she specialized in surveillance and message delivery. The majority of her detective work was done at the dance clubs. Her beauty was her greatest asset, since her good looks gave her entry into many places and access to people she was expected to watch. Through her employer, George Rufignac, it appears that she also began working unofficially for the investigative division of the Paris police. She brought them information, which they happily paid her for. But the income wasn't enough to support her. So in 1926, Leticia managed to find work at a Parisian pottery factory owned by the wealthy Tarot family. As luck would have it, the Tarots had a handsome 35-year-old son named Jules. It didn't take long before Jules and Leticia fell in love and moved into an apartment together. Just five days after Leticia's murder, public opinion turned against her when the news broke that the two had been secretly married. She was seen as an ambitious social climber. Jules' scandalized bourgeois family had only learned of the marriage on his deathbed, and they cut all legal ties with his working-class immigrant wife. They hadn't even known Jules was in a serious relationship. Some nights, Jules had left Leticia alone at their apartment to sleep at his parents' house just to keep up the lie that he was still single. After Jules tragically died in 1934, Leticia needed to find a new source of income. On November 1st, 1936, Leticia began a new job at the Maxi factory gluing labels onto shoe wax containers. But money wasn't the only reason 29-year-old Leticia was employed there. The private investigator who employed her, George Rufignac, asked Leticia to spy on the workers, many of whom were communist sympathizers who had recently decided to unionize. Leticia's job was to find everything she could about their union efforts and report everything to the factory supervisors. Leticia was spying on communists at the factory by day and fascists at the Ball Musette by night. The police learned during their investigation that during this time, Leticia started meeting a variety of men in hotels and public parks but they never uncovered any evidence that she charged for these encounters. Faithful to her husband during their six-year secret marriage, she took a series of lovers in the 1930s. When police went through her apartment, 
they found love letters from military men who promised to marry her when they came home. Letters from travelers who had had flings with Leticia while they passed through Paris. There were even letters from married men vowing to leave their wives for her. We'll be back right after this. Thank you to Best Fiends for sponsoring this episode. I found that the perfect break from my true crime research is the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends. The game is full of fun, challenging puzzles, and you know how I love solving puzzles. But it's a casual game, so it doesn't stress me out, which is perfect these days. I love that every time I open the game, there's always something new going on, whether it's a new challenge, fun monthly event, or just new levels. I just got to level 690 in the land of Wayward Waters. I love going through all these puzzle levels. I found that it really relaxes me. If you're tired of the same old puzzle game, this is the game for you. The makers of Best Fiends have created a whole world right on my phone. It's got fun music and it's bright and colorful with great graphics. There's a story behind each of these cute characters. I just unlocked Snap the Dragon Caterpillar, and I love that her martial arts technique has made her a much-feared foe among the devious slugs. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on this game. With over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. In 1937, 29-year-old Leticia Thoreau found herself in Paris, France, spying on both the fascists and the communists, using the dance clubs around the city as her headquarters. But Paris was becoming more and more dangerous. There was increased violence between political parties. Protests had turned to riots, which turned into all-out fighting in the streets. In the morning on the day Leticia's life would end, May 16, 1937, Leticia's younger brother, Henri, stopped by her apartment with a gift from their mother, who had just finished sewing a matching skirt and jacket for Leticia. It was a stunning, vibrant green outfit, very different from the black clothing she normally wore in mourning for her late husband, Jules. But Leticia seemed excited about the new clothes. She also asked her brother to go with her to the salon, where the brunette had her hair dyed blonde. That night at the dance hall, by all accounts, Leticia seemed to be her normal cheery self. When Leticia left the Ball Musette, she headed straight for the metro, apparently headed home to her apartment. But she never made it that far. For some reason, Leticia headed towards the subway's first-class car. This was 
a little unusual as the first class car was rarely used and only by the Parisian elite. Some high class prostitutes were also known for riding in the car, but there's no reason to suspect that Leticia had gotten into that line of work. Where was Leticia going? Was she supposed to meet someone? Was her green outfit some sort of disguise? We'll probably never know. At 6.25 p.m., Leticia Tarot entered what appeared to be an empty first-class car. It took about a minute for the car to reach the next station. Then, when the car doors opened, Leticia's beautiful green jacket was stained with red. She had been stabbed right behind the ear, and the knife was still jutting out from her neck. Bystanders raced for the police, but it was too late. In the years since Leticia's unsolved murder, several theories and speculations have surfaced. One popular rumor was that Leticia was murdered by French serial killer Marcel Petio. Petio murdered over 50 people throughout the late 1930s and early 1940s, using the chaos of World War II to hide his crimes. But there's no real evidence linking Petio to Leticia's death. Back in 1938, the Paris police suspected that Leticia's murder was connected to the assassinations of three well-known figures. Russian socialist activist Dmitry Navashin stabbed to death outside his apartment on January 26, 1937, and socialist sympathizers Carlo and Nello Rosselli gunned down on a road in Normandy on June 9, 1937. These last two murders were less than a month after Leticia's murder. Police eventually traced all three assassination cases to an extreme right-wing organization called the Kagul, which translates to the Hooded Ones. The Kagul was a highly organized militia who planned to replace the socialist government with a dictatorship in preparation for the return of the French monarchy. They had committed a number of serious crimes that included two bombings in Paris, at least seven murders, and the destruction of several airplanes. They incited public riots, and the French police knew that the Cagoule had been smuggling guns in and out of France for the past year. They also knew, though, that they were nearly untouchable because of the massive wealth and political power backing them. Kegul leadership included former army and naval officers, engineers, doctors, and industrialists, many of whom belonged to some of the most distinguished families in France. The organization was well-funded by the heads of major companies like Michelin and L'Oreal and had some support within the French armed forces. 
French historians Annette Finley Crosswhite and Gail Brunel theorize that sometime in 1936, Leticia, who was working for the police to infiltrate illegal right-wing political groups, became the lover of Gabrielle Jante, the Cagoule's arms smuggling expert, and became a member of the Cagoule herself. Jante ran a garage and commanded a fleet of cars he used to smuggle guns from Geneva to Paris. By the spring of 1937, the Cagoule began to suspect that Leticia was selling their secrets and set a trap for her. News of an upcoming arms run was leaked to her, but when the car was stopped at the Swiss border, it was empty. The ruse cost Leticia her life. The Cagoule leadership met on May 10, 1937, and determined her fate. The group's most notorious assassin, Jean Filial, was most likely ordered to kill her. Filial pulled off the perfect crime and fled to Spain before World War II broke out. The French police exposed the Cagoule on the night of November 15, 1937. Several of those arrested claimed to know of her murder and even provided testimony about her assassination. They confirmed she was murdered because she had infiltrated the Cagoule as an undercover agent. When the leaders of the Cagoule learned they had been double-crossed, they had her executed. But if the police suspected this, why was Leticia Tarot's murder never solved? The police arrested only 71 members of the Cagoule in 1937-38. Those imprisoned were released in 1939, as France was right on the brink of World War II. The case against the Cagoule didn't come to trial until 1948. By then, many of those charged were distinguished war veterans. Few were punished for their pre-war crimes, and the murder of Leticia Tarot was largely forgotten. In the end, the Cagoule leadership were simply too important to punish for the death of an immigrant woman. One last closely related leading theory is that the Italian Secret Service hired the Cagoule to assassinate Leticia. Parisian investigators suspected that Carlo and Nello Rosselli gunned down in rural France a month after Leticia's murder, had also been killed by the Cagoule. French police knew that the Cagoule were involved in the illegal gun smuggling trade, which included receiving guns from foreign countries. The police theorized that maybe the Italian government hired the Cagoule to assassinate the Rosselli brothers in exchange for illegally smuggled guns. The Rosselli brothers had become anti-fascist activists, and maybe Mussolini saw that as a threat. Maybe he thought they could convince other Italians to do the same. 
Italians like Leticia Tarot. Had her political views also changed while working as a mole? Was she just tired of the spy game and wanted out? Whatever the reason behind Leticia's supposed change of heart, it seems both the Kegul and the Italian government mistrusted her and wanted her dead. In 2002, the lease expired on Leticia's grave plot in a cemetery on the outskirts of Paris, and her body was exhumed and cremated. The files concerning Leticia's murder were sealed by the French government for 101 years and aren't due to be released until 2038. Then, we may finally get an answer to the mysterious death of Leticia Tarot and some clues into what exactly happened on the Paris metro that night. Until then, it remains a mystery. What do you think? Who killed Leticia Tarot? Find us on Instagram at Straight Up Enigmas or Twitter at Straight Enigmas and let us know. If you like the show, please remember to hop onto Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to give us a five-star rating. It really helps the podcast. This episode was written and produced by me, Jaden McKell. It was edited by Austin Blackwell. Our theme song, Straight Up Enigmas, was created by Chuck Flyer. Among the many great articles we referenced for this episode, we found Murder in the Metro, Mysterious Death Leads to Scholarly Work on Gender and Fascism in 1937 France, really helpful for our research and narration. You can find links to all the articles we utilized in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you on the next episode of Straight Up Enigmas. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.